right, I appreciate all the music today, and hopefully it's been an encouragement to you. Young people, you can slip out the back for Children's Church. I appreciate the song that Zach sang. That, that is such a beautiful prayer for our life to be what the Lord wants it to be. And would that be the case for all of us, that would be a wonderful thing. We are going to continue on in our study in the book of Ecclesiastes today. So we are in Ecclesiastes 7. Ecclesiastes 7, as we've, as we've gotten into Ecclesiastes, we're, we're past the halfway point of the book, and, and we've been looking at <coughs> all these different aspects of Solomon trying to figure out living life under the sun, trying to figure out how to make things come the way that will make him feel fulfilled, will make him feel happy, but he's trying to do it for the most part apart from Jesus Christ, apart from a focus on God, apart from a heavenly focus, and because of that, he's constantly finding uh, that life comes up empty, Life comes up vain. Life is like just a, a breath in the wind. It's just, there's nothing to it. And, and Solomon over and over is frustrated by this fact. It frustrates him that everything he tries comes up empty or vain. And, and yet the answer is right there. If he would focus on God and focus on a life lived with God, uh, things wouldn't come back so empty. But he still, still seems to be struggling that, and, and he's still struggling with, with what happens in life. And that's where we find him today, again, in chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Uh, the first point of our message today is frustrated by a lack of fairness. Frustrated by a lack of fairness. Notice what he says. He says, all things have I seen in the days of my vanity. Right from the start, he says, he says, I've seen all this stuff in this vain life, in this empty life. I've seen it all. And what does, he, what does he go to right away today? He says, there is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. So what does Solomon go to? The first thing he goes to here is he says, he says, listen, I'm frustrated by the point that sometimes the righteous man dies young, and sometimes the wicked man, his life seems to be prolonged. In other words, it feels like the righteous guy is penalized and the wicked guy is prospering. Now, folks, let me just ask you this. Have you ever felt that way in life before? You don't have to raise your hands. We all have, right? I mean, so I read the news sometimes and I get frustrated by, by what you hear about wicked people and, and, the, and the money they've accumulated in their lives or the things they've gotten in their life. And then you, you read about some righteous guy somewhere and he's got nothing. And, and, and sometimes it frustrates us in this life be, because we're thinking at that moment, we think in terms of this life. We think in terms of it just doesn't seem fair. The righteous man's got nothing. The wicked man's prospering, and he's prospering because of his wickedness. And it's so, it's so frustrating to us, and I'm sure all of us have experienced that in this life. We have all experienced time where we're frustrated. You know, you, you read about the missionary who dies young on the mission field, and you think, that's not fair, God. That's not fair. He's out there serving you. He's living a righteous life, and he dies at a young age because he contracts some disease on the mission field, and he dies. And we know many missionaries over the years that that's happened to. They contract some weird disease, some weird illness from the field that they're on, and, 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 and it's just, you know, and their life is gone way too quick. And then we can turn around and look at somebody who's, who's you know, living a life of sin and, and money's just coming to them hand and fist. Their life seems great. And, and we get frustrated by that fact. Well, Solomon wasn't the only one to be frustrated by that. If you turn back to Psalm 73, and, and when I feel those frustrations in life, 
Psalm 73 is always a great place to go because, because all through the history of mankind, that frustration has been there. Notice what it says in Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. So, so this is a Psalm of Asaph here. He, he says, listen, I know God's good to Israel. But he said, my feet are about to slip. I'm about to fall, and the fall is coming because of the frustration I see looking at the prosperity of the wicked. He says it seems like everything's coming up roses for him. He says everything seems to be great for him, but my feet are about to fall under me. I'm about to slip and fall, and he says flat out, they are not in trouble as other men. From his perspective, he's looking at the wicked man, and he's saying, I don't get it. His life doesn't seem to have any problems but my life has problems. Now, folks, again, I don't know about you today, but if I asked for a show of hands, how many people have problems in their life right now, there would be hands up all over this auditorium because I know several of you in this auditorium that have health issues right now that you're dealing with, and those are problems. And then we look at other people living wickedly, and it seems like everything's coming up roses for them. We don't understand. Well, the writer here goes even further. Uh, he, he says, therefore, his people return hither and, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. It's, it's like the wicked. Everything's coming up right for them. Everything works to their, their prosperity. Verse 12, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. I mean, the psalmist here is just like, this, this doesn't make sense to me. And he's frustrated by this all the way through this psalm. And then he comes down to verse 16. He says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful to me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. The psalmist is frustrated all along, and he says, I'm going to go to the house of God and understand the end of the wicked. And here's what he says. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. What does the psalmist says? He says, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm envious, I'm frustrated. I don't understand the prosperity of the wicked until I look at the end of the story. Because what comes at the end of the story, destruction comes for the wicked. And he said, then I realized how foolish I was. How foolish I was to not recognize the benefit of living righteously and the destruction that comes to those who live wickedly. And, and, so, and so, but Solomon's frustrated by this back in, in our passage in Ecclesiastes. He's, he's frustrated by this, by this fact, and, and, and it just, to him, it's another part of the vanity of life, that it just doesn't seem right that, that there's the righteous man whose days come to an end early, and there's the wicked man whose days seem to be prolonged. And so he, he, he comes up with kind of some, some solution for this frustration. How, in his mind, he's trying to figure out, how do I combat this frustration about life, this reality of life? And so he says, be not righteous overmuch, 
neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why should thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this, yea, also from this withdraw not thy hand. So here's Solomon's solution. Solomon says, okay, the, 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 the righteous man seems to die early. The wicked man seems to enjoy a prolonged life. So here's what I think you should do. Be a little bit righteous, be a little bit wise, be a little bit wicked, and a little bit foolish. Solomon says, just find a balance in all these things and you're going to be great. Good advice? No. <laughs> Not good advice at all. But this is Solomon's solution to the problem. And, and, and Sol Solomon's solution is, uh, you know, I, 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 we just need to be balanced and just be a little bit of everything. Well, that's funny because that's not what Scripture tells me. God tells me to be holy because he is holy. That's not just a little bit, folks. That's a whole lot. And so Solomon's advice right from the very start doesn't really ring true. But let's look at some other Scripture and understand the problem with that. If you turn over to 2 Timothy, over into 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 and verse 22, it says this. It says, flee also youthful lusts. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That doesn't sound like just a little bit of righteousness. His advice, Paul's advice to Timothy is to flee youthful us. Run from it. Get away from it. But follow, pursue, what? Righteousness. That's not what Solomon said. Solomon said, my advice to you is just do a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. But, but, but that's not what we see taught in other places in Scripture. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. If you turn back in, in, in the Scriptures, a few pages, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 24, it says this. It says, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and what? And true holiness. Doesn't sound like Paul thinks we should dabble a little in wickedness and dabble a little in righteousness and dabble a little in foolishness and dabble a little bit in wisdom. No, he says that you should put on the new man. That's, that's in righteousness and in holiness. And that's how we ought to live. God doesn't expect us to live just a little bit religiously or a little bit of the Christian life. He expects us to embrace the Christian life. The Bible tells us that when we, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are a new creation. Our life should be different. And Solomon should have understood the fact that life should be different. It shouldn't be just dabble a little bit here and a little bit there to keep yourself safe. Because that's what he says. I mean, you read this verse. He, he, he says, be not righteous over much, uh, neither make thyself over wise. Why shouldst thou destroy thyself? He says, the righteous man dies early, so we don't want to be too much of him. Why, why run to destruction? So we'll just live a little bit righteously. But we're also going to live a little bit wickedly because the wicked prospers. That's Solomon's take on this. And that's, that's his, his understanding of this. Now, there are some people, there are some people who take a little bit different approach to this passage, and you, and, and you could take this approach as well, that what Solomon is saying is don't live self-righteously. In other words, don't, don't put on this self-righteous attitude like, I've, I've got it, I've, I've arrived. 
I, I am Mr. Christian. You know, I, I got a big cape behind me that has C on it for Christian. You know, I, I have arrived. I am where I need to be. Some people say that, that, that the verbiage here in the original language could read that way. And folks, I'm going to just tell you flat out, I don't know which way it reads. But either way, either way, there's a problem. Because if, if we are right, self-righteous in life, then that means we're full of pride. And, and the scriptures tell us that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So, so either way you interpret what Solomon's saying, and based on the verse above where he's frustrated by the fact that the, that the righteous seem to die early and the wicked seem to live longer, I feel like it's the first interpretation that, that he's, saying, he's saying, listen, just dabble a little here, dabble a little there, and your life will come out somewhere in the middle. I, I would view it more that way, but you could view it either way. But either way, there's a lesson, there's a lesson for us to learn here. Either way, there's something that we can grasp hold of when it comes to this issue of looking at what seemingly is unfair in the Christian life. Now listen, folks, I, you know, Joyce and I have raised six kids. And I've told them many, many times in their life, life is not fair. Because there's a lot of arguments kids come up with over the years. It's, that's not fair, Dad. That's not fair, Mom. And you know what? Life isn't fair. And, and I have used that phrase, I don't even know how many times in raising my kids, that you just have to accept that life is not fair. But then I need to apply that same thought to me, that life is not fair. See, I, I, I've come to this conclusion from a very young age. When I became a, a younger man and, and I got my driver's license, boy, was I excited to get my driver's license. But you know what? My insurance cost me a whole lot more than the same age girl that just got her license. Why? Because boys are notorious for being more reckless drivers, so they pay a higher insurance rate. But I wasn't a reckless driver, so you know what my response to that is? That's not fair. It's not fair. I'm not driving wildly out here. I'm not driving. Believe me, if I got a ticket when I was young, my parents told me, we will take your license, and they meant business. So I knew better than to drive fast. Now, I did get up to speed pretty quick. I will say that, but, but I did not go past the speed limit because I was not going to get a speeding ticket because my mom and dad were serious when they said things, and they said, we will take your license if you get a ticket. And so, but life isn't fair. And to me as a young teenage boy, it's like, that's not fair. Why do I got to pay twice or three times the rate of the teenage girl next to me when she gets her license? But you know what, folks? We've got to understand life isn't fair. But what we also have to understand is, in the end, God rights all the wrongs. See, that's what we have to understand. See, Solomon couldn't see past the immediate. He was living life under the sun. No focus on God. No focus on the future. But folks, when Jesus Christ returns and is seated in righteousness and his reign is started, God rights all the wrongs. Because there's coming a day, the Bible tells us that, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. I think of the people today that hate God, that hate Christians, that, that, that have, I think, I think of countries in the world where Christians are murdered on a regular basis. And one day, those people are gonna, that have done that to Christians are going to bow the knee before Jesus Christ. And they're going to acknowledge who he is. See, God's going to right the wrongs. 
So just like for Asaph here in, 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 in Psalms and just like for Solomon here in Ecclesiastes, we don't need to spend our life worrying about righting the wrongs because God is going to right the wrongs. What we need to do is focus on being the kind of Christian that God wants us to be. We've got to focus on the fact that we understand life isn't fair. It's not fair, folks. It's just not. And we have to understand that. We have to come to terms with that. But we also need to understand the end of the story. And that's what Solomon doesn't have the benefit of seeing because of the way he thinks. He doesn't see the end of the story. Folks, we can go to the back of the book and we know the end of the story. Jesus Christ reigns. And if we're Christians, we reign with him. That's the end of the story. But if you don't have that part to the story, life can be miserable. And that's what Solomon was finding. Life was a frustration. He was frustrated by what happened when it comes to the area of fairness. Point number two today, lip service to God. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says, it is good that thou shouldest take hold of this, yea, also from this withdraw not thy hand. So let's stop there for a second. So what is Solomon saying? He just gave this advice, this faulty advice, and he says, it's good that you should grab hold to this advice. In other words, what is he saying? I'm giving you good advice. <laughs> Take hold to it. The problem is his advice wasn't good. <laughs> but he's, he's determined it's good advice. So he tells us to take hold to it. Then we see this phrase, and here's the phrase. It says, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. So Solomon has just spent... <laughs> This entire chapter so far, frustrated by the unfairness in life and, and, and frustrated by other things. And then he says, here's my advice. Be a little bit evil. Be a little bit righteous. Be a little bit wise. Be a little bit this. And then he says, my advice is good advice, so grab hold to it. And, and then he gives a little lip service to God. He says, he says, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Now, is that a true statement? Yes, it is. Should we fear God? Should we have a proper fear of God? Uh, yes, we should. We, should. we should live with a reverential fear of God in our lives. We should. We, we should understand that we serve an awesome God. We serve a God who controls everything. And he is all-powerful. He is almighty. And so should there be a reverential fear? Yes, there should. There is nothing wrong with reverential fear. Really, folks, sometimes there's never nothing wrong with just a, just a right-out fear because of how powerful God is. And I think a lot of the problems in society today uh, would be taken care of if people would come to a true fear of God Almighty, if they would truly understand what it is to fear an awesome God, to have a reverential fear for Him. You know, Growing up, I, I, had, I had a fear of my parents. Now, my parents loved me to death. And I never, ever in my entire life doubted my parents' love for me. But there was a fear there. What they said, they meant business. And I understood that. And I understood if I didn't toe the line and do the things the way I was supposed to do them, there were going to be consequences for that. There's nothing wrong with that kind of fear, folks. I walked the line a lot as a kid, not always, but a lot because of just the simple reverential fear from my parents. I understood their position, I understood my position, and I understood they were the ones that were in control at that time. Nothing wrong with that. And it should be the same way for Christians with God. We, we should have God in his proper place, 
us in our proper place, and we ought to have a reverential fear for him that helps control things in our life. But like so many other people, so many other people give lip service to God. You ever, you ever, you ever watch politicians? Pol, pol, they, it doesn't matter what issue they're speaking on. They, they try to throw some scripture in there. They try to throw some God in there. You know, and, and half the time they don't even get it in the right context. But just, they just want to give that lip service to God. Or they want to try to convince you of their point because though they don't follow God anywhere else in their life, on this particular point they want you to listen to God. And so, and, 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 and it comes from both sides of the aisle, folks. So I'm not picking on anybody particularly today. Uh, but, but that's how it is, right? They, they give lip service. They don't follow God. But they kind of throw God into the mix every once in a while because it sounds good. I think that's what Solomon was doing here. I, 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 he, he's on to a, a very important point, but I don't think he's making it for the right reason, especially if you interpret things according to the first interpretation today. But, but he, sa he says, listen, he, 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 he says, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. It's a good thing. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 says, what? The fear of of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. Notice 1 Corinthians. If you just turn over there for just a minute. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. It says this, but of, him, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We need to glory in God. We need, we, need, we need to give God, understand who he is for what he is, and, and take that, not just giving it lip service. That takes us to point number three today, the benefit of wisdom. Now, Solomon's going to spend the rest of this chapter still struggling with the things he's struggling with, but understanding a little bit where wisdom helps us overcome a few of these things. And just like in other places in the book, Solomon sheds some good light sometimes that we can understand and work through. But we have to understand, when we're talking about the benefits of wisdom, we're talking about godly wisdom, not man's wisdom, because those aren't the same thing. Talking about godly wisdom. Because here's what he says. He says in verse uh, 19, Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. Wow. So he says, if you are a wise man, you are better than ten mighty men in the city. You are more strengthened by your wisdom than ten mighty men. So what's he saying? He's saying that there is wisdom, in true wisdom, there is strength. That's what he's saying. But again, that has to be godly wisdom. Psalm 90 and verse 12 says this. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto what? Wisdom. Unto wisdom. So, so should we be working towards gaining wisdom in our life? Yes, godly wisdom. Not just, not just, listen, anybody can go learn facts. You can go to any library in America, grab 100 books off the shelf, and you can learn facts. But that's not godly wisdom. The only place we're going to get godly wisdom is from this book. 
God's word is what? Truth. It's truth. Wisdom comes from this book. Proverbs, while we're, we, we often see, see, uh, flip back over to Proverbs, let's just turn over there for just a second. Proverbs chapter 1, probably many of us are familiar with this part of the passage, but Proverbs 1, it says this, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, folks, Solomon recognized that there is a benefit to having godly wisdom. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because, remember, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. He had been granted great wisdom from God. Now, he didn't always use it rightly, and he didn't always look to God rightly as he should, but, but he understood wisdom. And the fact that there is strength in wisdom. Even though earlier in the book at times, he felt like his wisdom had failed him. He felt like his wisdom was vain. But, but, but he understands there is value in wisdom. Wisdom helps us deal with the circumstances in life. God allows us through godly wisdom to work through things that might otherwise frustrate us in life. So the rest of the chapter now looks at a few of those examples. So let's take a look at them together. Verse 20, he says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So, so the first thing he says is there, there is not a just man upon the earth. So what is his wisdom teaching him? His wisdom is teaching him to understand the sinfulness of all men, including himself. Of all men, including himself. That can be a frustrating statement. There's not a, there's not a righteous man upon the earth, but a just man upon the earth. But he, what he's doing there is he's understanding there's a principle at work here, and that's that there is none righteous. What? No, not one. That's what the Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us all our righteousness are as what? Filthy rags. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no righteousness. Not until we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and then our righteousness comes through Him, through His shed blood. But other than that, there is no righteousness. Man in and of himself is not a righteous being. Because we're fallen. And that negates a lot of the philosophy out here in the world today that tells us that man is basically good, but, you know, his circumstances have made him the way he is. No, that's baloney, folks. That's garbage philosophy. Man is not basically good. The Bible tells us that man is fallen. Man is basically evil. Listen, I, I love my grandson. I really do. I, I love him to death. And he's just over one year old. But I'm telling you right now, that little guy's got some evil in him. <laughs> he cries when there's no reason to cry. See, that's not right. He shouldn't do that. That's lying. That's saying I need something when I really don't need something. He reaches for something in the, in the, in the, in the room. I, I had him in my bedroom the other day, and I literally walked down the hallway, grabbed him a pudding cup, and came back to the bath bedroom. I was gone only that long. And in that time, he had managed to open Joyce's dresser and start pulling cards out that she had in the drawer. I come back, and there's cards laying around the room. I'm like, I'm like what? I'm, I'm gone 15 seconds. <laughs> 
Where is this coming from? Well, see, folks, there's an issue here, and the issue is man has fallen. Man is sinful. There's philosophies out there that want you to think that that baby's never sinned a day in his life, and it's just going to be it's going to be his circumstances in the world that turn him into a bad person. No, that's not true. That baby's a sinner and needs a savior, just like I'm a sinner and need a savior. And so, so, so Solomon here, he he's understanding, navigating frustration life. Listen, there there is nobody that's just on this earth. Then notice the next thing he says, um, going into uh, verse tw- twenty-one. Also, take no heed unto all the words that are spoken, lest thou uh, hear thy servant curse thee. For oft times also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise has cursed others. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, don't allow yourself to be frustrated when somebody speaks evil against you. But remember, sometimes you've spoke evil against other people. Is that not a true point? Sure. I spoke evil against the guy that was in front of me coming to church this morning. I said, can't you find the gas pedal? That was not nice. Now, he didn't hear me because I was in a car and it was pouring rain. But I was like, man, there's a gas pedal. It's the one on the right. Find it. You know, right? But was that right? No, that wasn't right. That wasn't right. I was frustrated because he wasn't getting, I was trying to get here. And I had stuff to do and he wasn't going very fast. And, uh, but maybe he just didn't know where he was going. I don't know. But, or maybe he was just trying to be safe because it was pouring rain. I don't know. But it was a frustration to me. So what did I do? I said something ugly in my car. I said, find the gas pedal. And Solomon says, listen, don't, don't let the gossip of others tear you down. Because there's always going to be people that are going to lie about us. There always are. And the more we follow Christ, the more they're going to lie about us. We should understand it. Matter of fact, that's where we're going to be in, we're going to be in biblical worldview this Wednesday night. We're getting to the part where we're going to start talking about, about the rejection of Jesus Christ and the fact that it, that impacts our life as believers today. Because Jesus was rejected by the world, so if we're his followers, can we expect any different? Especially not in today's day, I can tell you that. And so we're going to get to that this Wednesday in, in Biblical Worldview. But he says, listen, he, he, he says, wisdom should help you navigate through and, and, and work your way through when people speak ugly. But Spurgeon, when he was teaching his students, he said this. Uh, he said that they needed one blind eye and one deaf ear. He says, you cannot stop people's tongues, and therefore the best thing you can do is stop your own ear and never mind what is spoken. Probably some pretty good wisdom. Listen, we just need to, we need to learn that people, people are going to lie about us. People are going to say ugly things about us. And, and if we let that consume our life, and that's the problem. Sometimes we let what others think consume our life. You know, I think, I think a lot of times that's what stops us from being bold in our Christian faith. We're afraid of what somebody else is going to think or what they're going to say about us. So we just kind of huddle down, and we're not going to be bold in our Christian faith because of it. But Solomon's here, he, some wisdom here, he's saying, listen, you, don't worry about the words spoken against you. And remember, you've spoken words as well. Notice the next one, verse 23. He says, all this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? I applied mine heart to know and search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. So now Solomon's going back all the way to the beginning of his premise, all the way to the beginning of the book. He says, he says I have sought to understand why things are the way they are, and I can't figure it out. And it's frustrating to me. Well, you know what, folks? We're not going to figure it out. 
Because God's ways are not our ways. Thing, there are things at work in this world that other scripture tells us are just too high for us. They're too lofty. They're, they're things that deal with God that we cannot understand. And we won't understand them. But, but he, was, he was frustrated. He was frustrated by that. That he couldn't understand it. That he couldn't live the way he wanted to live. That he couldn't do the things he wanted to do. Back into our study in, in Job, uh, Job and chapter uh, 42, we need to move quickly. Job chapter 42 and verse 1, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from me, from thee. Who is it that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. What did Job say? Job said, I tried to figure it out, and I realized, I finally came to the conclusion that it is not for me to figure out. I can't figure it out because it's things that are too high for me to understand. And so I just repent. And quit trying to figure it out. That's what he said. All right, moving right along. Trying to grasp the sinfulness of man. Notice verse 26. He says, And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, and her hands are as bands. Whoso pleases God shall escape her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Now this is a reference back into the book of Proverbs talking about, talking about the prostitute, the woman who ensnares man in her sinfulness and her lust and things like that. And, and we don't have time this morning to go into all those passages in Proverbs that deal with that issue. But what he's starting to look at is he's starting to look at the sinfulness of man in general. Man, woman, doesn't matter. He's looking at the sinfulness of man in general, and, and, and he's trying to put his hands around it. And so he says, uh, then he says, Behold, this I found, uh, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not. I, I have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. What is he saying there? Now, there's a lot there, and we're moving quickly. But what he says is, he says, Lo, this is what I found out. God hath made man upright. When God created man, man was upright. And then man fell. And we know the story from Genesis. And that fall of Adam and Eve then put a sin curse on us that still exists to this day. Man is now fallen. That is not how man started. But man is now fallen. The Bible tells us that God created man in, in, in his image. Man was not a falling creature when God created him. But God gave us a free will to choose. And man chose to walk away from God and fellowship with Satan. And in that, the fall of man began and continues to this day. <clears throat> Notice what he says, the last phrase in this verse, it's a very interesting phrase. He says, but they have sought out many inventions. Now, the word invention there is literally the word engine or device. What is he saying? He says, man was created upright, but he has sought other devices in his fallenness. In other words, he's basically not followed what is right, not followed what is morally good. 
He's tried to live life some other way. And so, some wisdom here at the end of chapter 7. Godly wisdom can help us work through some of these frustrating aspects of life. And so, though I don't believe Solomon meant it for the right reason, I do agree when he says, For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. That's how we ought to live in a proper fear of God. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to the end of the message today. A very simple message out of the second half of this chapter of Ecclesiastes, but some important things for us to understand there. I know if I ask for a show of hands, how many have ever been frustrated by the way things seem to be in life, that there would be hands up all over in the auditorium today. Because we can't help but be frustrated by things, because life is not fair. But we have to learn to overcome that through wisdom that comes from God and recognize that this is not the end of the story, but the end of the story is coming someday. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we come to the end of the message today. Elizabeth's just going to play on the piano for a second. If, if you need to spend some time with the Lord, you can sit down at your pew and pray. The altar's open if you want to come forward and kneel down at the altar and pray. We just wait while Elizabeth plays through one verse of a song this morning. <laughs>